Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my hosts as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans with me, Cheryl Burke, and iHeartRadio Podcast. Welcome back to Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans, where you can get your fix of all things Dancing with the Stars by me, your host, Cheryl Burke. I hear you guys have been enjoying these rewatches, which makes me so happy to hear because I have to say they are just not easy to do, folks, for so many reasons. But what you guys can do, though, to encourage me to continue recording these rewatches is to rate and review wherever you're currently listening to this podcast right now. And you can do so multiple times from your same account, okay? Even if you've done so already, that's the beauty of it. All right, one more thing is I've been getting tons of inquiries on where people can rewatch the episodes that I've recapped so far. So what you guys have to do, listen closely and carefully, is go to our Instagram page, which is at Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans. Make sure you click the link that you see in the bio, which is located on our feed. So basically, when you go to our page, it, it's under that avatar, okay, or the picture where you see me in my flamenco dress. And you can basically just click right there and you'll see a short written bio. And underneath that bio, right, you'll see a link that you just need to click on, which will take you straight to where you will find the links to each episode that I've reviewed and rewatched so far. Pretty simple, right? And don't worry, you know, I'm also technically challenged. So it took me a, a while to figure out what the heck of bio was. But now you know. Hope that helped. So per your vote on the podcast Instagram page, I asked if you wanted me to rewatch the results show or just skip to the next live show. So again, majority ruled. And you guys voted to skip the results show. So that I did. Before we get into episode two of season two, I wanted to remind you guys that last week, the two couples who were in the bottom two after the premiere were Tia and Max and Kenny and Andrea. And the couple who got eliminated was Kenny Maine and Andrea Hale. Okay, so with that, let's dive in to this right now as there are still nine couples remaining, which means this might have to be into two parts again, but we shall see. At the top of the show, Tom reminds us of 
and goes on to say that is no one wants to go home. And then it cuts to Ashley and Master P in rehearsal with Master P actually confronting poor Ashley saying, you just went off on me in front of millions of people. Ah, ouch, poor Ash. Then it cuts to Stacey Keebler and Tony saying, well, you're going to work your ass off. So why don't we just start right now? Ouch again. And then it cuts to Tia physically pushing Max's chest saying, so let's get to it. Just do it. Triple ouch. Then you hear Tom saying they've seen their competition. Then it cuts to Lisa Renna saying, after watching everybody last week, I know it's no longer fun in games. Then it cuts to Master P saying, I'm here to beat Jerry Rice. Huh, dream on. Then it cuts to Jerry Rice saying, you haven't seen nothing yet. Then you hear Tom saying again, they must bring their A game or face elimination. Dun, dun, dun. Cuts to Tom's spooky voiceover. Live, this is Dancing with the Stars. You like that, guys? Did I do a good imitation? Probably not. Anyway, I have to say, though, that these intros are chilling. Every single time I rewatch these episodes, as soon as Samantha Harris and Tom Bergeron are on camera and they're about to introduce the pros and celebrities to the ballroom, the live audience actually goes insane. Every single one is like screaming at the top of their lungs. It's a rowdy, but classy rowdy, you know? And it honestly, it just needs to go back to the way it was because not only would the people at home love it and love the enthusiasm, more importantly, your next season's pro dancers and celebrity contestants would really appreciate it. You're welcome, dancers and future celebs for season 33. So as they do these walk downs down the two spiral stairs flanking the orchestra, you could tell that the couples who did the ballroom dances are now doing Latin and vice versa because of their sparkly and fresh (laughs) spray tans. And boy, were they fresh. These costumes were absolutely incredible. I have to say they look like they were fresh off the ballroom circuit, a real ballroom dance competition. You see, you know, Stacey Keebler, Lisa Renna and Giselle Fernandez and barely anything. But hey. If you got it, flaunt it. Then you see Edita and George, you know, covered up, which is rare for Edita, but she looks so elegant, you know, like in the movies. And they're walking down in, you know, a tail suit. She's got her elegant feathery ball gown. And I'm in a ballroom dress as well, but not as elegant as Edita. I used to get really jealous of Edita's costumes because I was like, I feel like she would always come up with the best design for her outfits. Mind you, she had the best body in the world. Anyways, I have to say though, back in my heyday, uh, my hair actually only took two seconds. So as far as my call time goes, it was always like at least two hours later than the all, all the other girls. <laughs> um, <laughs> so all they had to really do was do my makeup, which was the good part about that hair of mine. Anyway, I also have to admit that I'm the only professional girl I would say in all of 26 seasons to sweat as much as I do. I don't smell guys, but um, I definitely sweat. Like I look like I just took a shower sweat, even with my long locks. Same thing. I'm so sweaty. And I've always wondered with the other girls that don't sweat, where does it come out of? You know, because it's not healthy, girls. You gotta sweat. Get yourself in a sauna. Why don't you? Kidding. Anyway, I used to sweat like a racehorse. Didn't matter where I was, even if the ballroom was cold, but the short hair definitely came in came in handy, that is, to get those extra hours of sleep, you know, from a night of partying. Did a body good. 
Anyway, so I also wanted to remind you guys that this was week two, which means that we most likely, from what I remember, we actually got our our week two music in the middle of the training period. So we must have had at least longer than the normal few days, at least a week or even two weeks to get ready for this dance uh, for week two, that is. So we still haven't felt the pressure yet of choreographing and turning around a performance in less than a week, but you will see that very soon here. I mean, that's in episode three, which I'm sure from that point on, it really weeds out the people who deserve to stay versus not. You know, the people who can handle pressure versus not. It's all about the mentality and how you play this game called Dancing with the Stars, really. It's about planning your week and rehearsals to where you don't waste one single minute. And I was learning this as I was honestly going during this season. Like I never understood how fast the turnaround was until that one day during the second season where I didn't come prepped. Eek. Uh, I may have gone out too much that week, but it was the week when we had to do our Michael Jackson pasta doble to the song Thriller. Your girl didn't prep and nor did we get anything done that first day because I had no idea what to teach him. And that was so traumatizing. I never did that again. And I also got in trouble with the showrunner at that time called me and he was like, "Uh, yeah, we have nothing on camera, which means you've done nothing. So are you going to choreograph something? And I knew that when you get a piece of music like Thriller, for example, I think I just put so much pressure on myself. You know, I was wondering when I could just leave rehearsal to choreograph because I felt so discouraged that day. But this is why from that day on, and we'll get there, but from that point on, I always came to rehearsal prepped and I can't choreograph in front of my celebrity like I can but like I can't use him to my benefit right like I don't want him to even see what's not going to be in his routine and get him confused anyway let's move on to couple number one Lisa Renna and Louis Van Amstel well good on Louis for not being eliminated first right I think that was his goal so he already won right (laughs) Tom introduced them And then you see one of the judges saying that she was a victim of a shaky leg. I believe that was Carrie Ann. Their package opens up with Lisa saying they're dancing a rumba, doing an interview saying that the truth is, guys, I didn't dance as well as I did during rehearsal. You know, her goal is just not to be as nervous this week, and she's going to try her very best to overcome her nerves. And since they're dancing the rumba... I also wonder if Louie might have some PTSD from dancing the rumba with Trista Sutter. As I remember, you know, if you guys rewatched it, you'll see that Trista wasn't very comfortable with how intimate and sensual the rumba was with Louie, that is. And she had to even bring her husband into rehearsal. But I highly doubt that this is going to be a problem with this couple as far as Lisa Renna goes. So it cuts to Lisa practicing her pivots and turns against the ballet bar. in the studio, which I'm not so sure what that does, maybe um, for balance, I guess, purposes. And then it cuts to Lisa describing how sexy the rumba is and how animalistic she stole Edita's word. It is. It's the opposite of the waltz, obviously, which is the actual dance they did for the premiere night. So she describes the rumba as it's almost as if you're having sex on the dance floor. Yep. I... (laughs) And then it cuts to Lisa Renna saying in scene to Louie, you know, I think they're going to think I'm a slut. Huh? What? Then it cuts to an out of studio package in that moment to where Lisa says that her and Louie decided to go to a, a class. So hopefully this class will help 
with their nerves or with her nerves. And then it cuts to them swinging around on a stripping pole. So they obviously went to a pole dance class, which I have to say, I tried this myself a few years ago. And let me tell you, newfound respect for poles, strippers, and anyone that wants to dance on a pole. I mean, if you listen to my interview with Vinny, you'll hear why. Louis says it was his first pole dancing class and that he hopes America believes him. I don't believe you, Louis. Then it cuts to Louis and Lisa having fun on the pole, sharing one. And then it cuts to Lisa saying, um, you know, learning how to pole dance. It has helped with my hips to really free them up. Then it cuts to the two of them in the actual dance studio, you know, using the rumba technique as far as hip movement goes. Um, And, you know, basically this class for the both of them, they both said it really helped. So it touches on, you know, the sensuality and the sensual way you're supposed to move your body. And, you know, I have to say, Louis looks like a baby. He looks so young with this short haircut of his. And uh, he also said in an interview that pole dancing has really made him respect the feelings of a woman and more having way too much fun on the pole, really. That's really what that was. And Lisa was saying that doing this has really helped and it's helped with um, just the execution of their rumba and it cuts to their rehearsal footage again. Louis basically overly exaggerates the way that Lisa needs to look. And, you know, they're each, you know, as they were practicing the rumba, you know, it was very sensual. So you can tell that, okay, I'm about to expect them to go full out when it comes to this, right? There's lots of shots with like Louie's mouth on Lisa's neck and lots of moments of them really close as far as body contact goes and being like head to head. What I love about this is as opposed to like Louie's first run in the rumba during the first season with Trista, you know, I love that Lisa is game for anything and she really is. And I appreciate the celebrities that come on the show and they're just like, you know what? I am not familiar with any of this, you know best, and they trust the process. And I have to say, Lisa was one of them. You know, um, moving forward into this competition, for anyone who's listening and who is going to do the show, you just have to be game, okay? And get out of your head. Because once once you don't trust the process and you question every little thing, your experience, I promise you, this is going to be miserable. No one cares if you look cool or not. Like at the end of the day, when you actually stop looking cool is when you think you don't look cool or you have to look cool, whatever that means. Okay. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. 
And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so basically, you know, Lisa says to the camera that we're really going to go for it and roars like a tiger. Roar. Okay, so the rumba starts right away. Louis is behind her and Lisa is in front of him and they already give off like that rumba vibe, which is, you know, performing out to the audience, which isn't performing outwards. It's more of an intimate performance between you and your partner. However, the music right away doesn't call for any type of sexy moments as they're dancing to an Elton John song. And I love Elton John, don't get me wrong, the king himself. But I really don't believe any of his music in general calls for sexy or sexual. You know, he's a master, obviously, at what he does. But even this particular song, you know, it just was not an international rumba. The BPM was too fast. It was more of American rhythm rumba, which is so different in comparison to the international rumba, which is what we do on Dancing with the Stars. International rumba is more of a slow tempo versus the American rhythm rumbas. They're a lot faster. I watched it again, but this time on mute. And, you know, that's not a good sign, but I just wanted to see the dance for itself because it's cringeworthy when I watch someone dance to a song and they manufacture an emotion that the song just doesn't call for. Like, I would never look like I was about to make out with someone or like have this sexual, sensual chemistry with an Elton John song. It just doesn't match. Anyway, once I watched their rumba on mute, you know, I was able to really look at the technique, look at her movement from foot to foot. It's a shame though, because right away, I just know, even though I haven't heard the judge's remarks yet, you know, and just so you guys know, if any new listeners are listening right now, I don't hear their remarks as far as judges or or hear their scores or watch their scores until after I've done my review and I've scored myself. So I know Len Goodman will 
most likely not love the execution of their rumba, considering that it, there was a lot of like raunchiness, but maybe in a way it could be reversed because of the Elton John song saving them and making them look a lot more classy and elegant, just like the type of style that Len expects and appreciates. Um, but, you know, I hate anything manufactured. I only appreciate authenticity. That's just me, though. But because if this was just more of a different type of tempo, like the, if the BPM wasn't as fast, it was, you know, it would still be a great dance. It would be a rumba, but it wouldn't be forced to be a sexy one. It would be more of a classical rumba, but whatever. Anyway, so actually I have to say Lisa definitely executed straight legs, which is what is needed, especially in the international style rumba. The one thing that I could say about her legs and feet is that though her legs are straight, they were almost too straight because you know, in order to straighten your leg, you have to bend the leg first, right? And with that, you have to exaggerate bending and straightening because you're doing ballroom. And we have to exaggerate every little thing, the devil's in the detail. You know, she wasn't really using her feet or putting the pressure that you need from your foot to the hardwood floor in order to create maximum hip action. The chemistry these two have are great, but again, it was just manufactured. And I think, so as far as Lisa's dress goes, I think what we have as far as wardrobe and what we have attainable to us is that you don't like in real ballroom dance competitions, you wear one dress for all five Latin dances, for example. You wear the same costume for when you do a cha-cha, for when you do a samba, rumba, pasa doble and jive. Now on Dancing with the Stars, you're doing like a show dance or a showcase of just one dance. So you can change the wardrobe to fit the appropriate style of movement. So I think that that wasn't taken advantage of at that moment. It did just the whole thing didn't match. It was like the music didn't match the wardrobe. The wardrobe didn't match the movement and vice versa. My whole point with all of this is that it just isn't balanced. So I would have liked to see her in like a A-line skirt off to an angle, something like that, you know, and like some something that Edita would wear for sure would like she could have even, you know, worn that same color that she was wearing, which was like a coral with a rhinestone bra, that was fine. But it could have had more of a draped fabric across her body that like went into a skirt or a barely there skirt, like a chiffon skirt even would have been beautiful around her body instead. But it's great. I mean, they look like twins again, and I just can't get over it. They both have the same haircut. <laughs> However, huge improvement, I have to say, when it comes to her nerves. She definitely didn't look nervous at all. But because I had to watch this in mute in order just to be able to look at the routine from top to bottom, you know, it's it's the whole package. Yes, it's about the celebrity, but it also, I have to say, if given, you know, not a great routine, and I'm not saying that Louis didn't give her a great routine, but it has also everything to do with the professional. You know, your, your celebrity doesn't do well if not given the correct choreography for that person. And I'm not going to call out anybody, but I've done this as well. Like I can name exactly the week and the partner I was with, which you'll hear about when we do season three, but I'll get there. But I choreographed a horrible tango, okay? A ballroom tango. And, you know, we got horrible scores because of the horrible routine I choreographed. Anyway... I give Louis and Lisa a seven. Then Tom Bergeron asks Len Goodman, what do you look for in the rumba? And he says he looks for romance. He looks for the tease in the dance. And then he says, we want to see a lovely and sensual hip action and good movement. And we want to see a bit of basics. And then Tom asks Len, well, did you see it here? And Len said, well, in parts, I saw it. 
I thought it was a great performance. It was a great first dance. I thought you guys had tremendous focus. You have to work on those spins, though, Lisa. But he didn't see one heel lead, which is great. Then it cuts to Carrie Ann saying, I think you had a shaky start. You had a shaky few spins at the top, like Len said. But, you know, you are sexy. You just need to live it up. And I actually have to say I agree with Carrie Ann wholeheartedly here. You don't need to try too hard, right? The sensuality and the sexuality, the intimacy of the rumba, it, it's there. It all comes from within. It is <laughs> doesn't it, it doesn't start from the outside, right, of you. And it doesn't need to be put on. This is what, what I mean by authentic emotion versus manufactured emotion. Then it cuts to Bruno. Well, Lisa, you're like a wild kitten. This thing is in, this thing is hard to control. You know, in the rumba, you go for it, right? That's for sure. And you do it too much to where when you spin and then you come out of the turn, you lose control. So you manage your energy and then you start to learn hopefully how to control your movement. So if you can do this, you'll do much, much better. So keep that in mind. Then they go to the red room with Samantha. Samantha asked Lisa, it seems like you overcame your nerves out there. Were you nervous? Doesn't seem like it. And she said, well, when you're going first, you're always going to be nervous. But I feel like I did the job. And Lisa continues, and I feel really good. I feel much more grounded this week. Her scores were six, seven, seven. So Carrie Ann gives Lisa and Louie a six and you hear Lisa gasp basically and say, oh my God. And then Len and Bruno gave her both a seven, which gave them a total of 20 out of 30. You know, I can tell the both of them weren't that happy with it, but I believe if this rumba would have been more musical and would have been less manufactured with like the putting on the faces or grabbing by the neck, like so aggressive with a music like Elton John, with a song like Elton John song, you know, all of that. And if the BPM was just a lot slower, which I'm shocked Louis didn't fix with Harold Wheeler at the time, they I think they would have gotten an eight, at least one of them. You know, it's not like they don't have the potential. You know, she definitely does. But sometimes I have to say less is more. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. 
I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Couple number two, it's Drew Lachey and Cheryl Burke dancing the quick step with Tom basically saying that our cha-cha we danced for the premiere night was called the performance of the night. No pressure. Now, remember, you guys, this is when I didn't feel confident at all with any of my ballroom dances, meaning any of the standard styles of dance or the smooth, right? That was not my expertise. I wouldn't even say I was an expert back then, even in the Latin, especially not in teaching, that's for sure. But I was definitely way more comfortable in the Latin genre. I knew what looked good versus didn't didn't look good and I could manipulate at least or help like back lead my partner if need be in the Latin because I kind of felt the when I was in the right position versus not. Did I get help with my quick step? Absolutely. I definitely got help when it came to choreography, especially for the standard dances. Now back then, you know, they were very strict and I have to say they meaning the executives and enforced all these rules when it came to quick step, right? Like no breaking hold, staying in ballroom hold, meaning in frame. I had to learn how to teach basically a pedestrian, meaning my celebrity at the time, without all the fancy dance terms. Like, mind you, I got my judges, like I passed my judges tests, meaning I had to, in order to be a judge, you have to take all of the curriculum, right? You have to take the tests for all of them, all different levels, bronze, silver, gold, open gold. And I, you know, for example, when I was taking my test, they'd be like, show us a throwaway oversway for both the male and the female steps. And so, I mean, back then I was able to do it, but that was probably, when did I take that? When I was like 18, right? So anyway, the point is though, it's a lot different when you have to put everything in a routine and not just a basic routine, like an open gold routine with someone who's never done this before. Like we're really pushing the limit here. We're pushing it pushing the boundaries. But I have to say, you know, we were able to actually pull it off. My confidence definitely resided, as you guys know now, more in the Latin style of dances, not the ballroom, but even just like choreography as a whole. I was just so insecure about just solely doing the choreography alone without, you know, getting any opinions or asking for help. And you'll be shocked to hear this up until my last day on the show a year ago, to be quite honest, guys. Anyway, let's get to it. And let's see the rehearsal for our quick step. So they show a clip of our cha-cha from premiere night and you hear Tom saying, last week, Drew impressed the judges with his cha-cha. That's a good thing, right? Not to hear him tell it. Okay. I don't under- still don't understand what he means by this, which I'm sure I will get 
all of this shortly. But then it cuts to me and Drew in the red room as they were showing us live with Drew having that expression of eek. He may have said something wrong. Let's see. Okay, so... Then it cuts to Nick Lachey in the audience. Of course, they want to replay that as much as possible, especially back then in the height of his divorce with Jessica Simpson. Um, They replay that. And then Tom says again, Drew's boy band to ballroom seemed founded as he and Cheryl delivered a blistering performance in last week's cha-cha-cha. Cuts to the judges with Len Goodman saying best dance of the night. Fabulous. And then Tom said as a stellar first performance. However, did it get 98 degrees heartthrob sweating? So he's referring to the 24 out of 30 that we got for our first dance. Right. And then it cuts to Drew in an interview saying that he called the 24, the score 24, the kiss of death, saying that we're at the top now. Everybody's going to be looking to see how Drew and Cheryl are doing, you know, This is only week number two. Could they maintain the pace or do they slip and fall? So this is what I mean when I say that Drew just knew television. He knew exactly how reality or how a reality show worked. And he always said to me, now that I'm watching all of this, right, it's bringing up so many memories. But he used to say to me, you know, we don't want to be at the top at the first or second episode or week because of the fact that if we're number one, then what type of pressure is going to be put on us? And there's only one way to go, and that's down. So I think that's why I guess I kind of, I guess, developed this mentality of we want to get sixes for week one. I always would tell my celebrity partners, like leading into the Dancing with the Stars premiere especially, and they just would always laugh at me and like wonder what the heck I was saying. But I'm I'm like, I'm telling you, you don't want to start at number one week one. So I think this was Drew brainwashing me, but it's true though. Like when you have so much pressure and everyone looking at you, you know, no one came ever in the history of Dancing with the Stars in first place every single week. So there's only really one way to go. And he's right. That's down. Then it cuts to our rehearsal. Of course, I'm in my (laughs) rehearsal get-up gear with a long ballroom skirt with a black tank top and my hair that I love. I am making Drew basically do the whole routine alone in frame, meaning the quick step. And once you can get your celebrity to actually know his steps, forwards, backwards, sideways, or her, and if even, I mean, I don't think I've ever, have I done this? Maybe. I I think it was with Juan Pablo. I taught him even my steps so that he could really lead. Because honestly, you guys, there's no such thing as leading a woman if you don't know what direction she's moving in next. Meaning you got to know her steps. You got to be one step ahead of the follower. Leaders need to be one step ahead always. Fun fact, okay? So basically when you, Know that your celebrity can dance by himself or herself to music, the full routine from top to bottom, you know you're in a great place. And so, you know, the only reason why we were able to do this, though, as a reminder is, you know, right after the premiere episode is because we remember we were prepped for week two already ahead of time since they had given us the music already. So I would say like two weeks into week two of the show. So this is still all gravy. I mean, starting week three is when it gets stressful, but we'll get there. What I'm super impressed about is Drew being able to pull his frame and to really hold his frame consistently and dance to my counts. So I wasn't even putting the music on and I would be like quick and quick and quick and slow, quick and quick and slow, quick and clear. (laughs) It's, It's basically just like a basic step, which is called a scattered chasse. And he did all of it to my timing. So he definitely knew his routine. That was for sure. I would say every single week, backwards and forwards, I would make 
Drew do it alone, which is great. Then, you know, it shows us in our package taking a break at the dance studio. We were rehearsing in and Drew looks discouraged. He's sweating. He's being mean to himself every time he messes up. He would swear. Then it's me sitting next to him and he's saying to me, that's that's no 24 though, is it? And I say, that's for sure. God, how encouraging was I? Because I'm definitely... <laughs> Again, still never, you know, became this person of uh, words of affirmations. That's for sure. You don't come to me if you want to hear a compliment. Only the truth comes from this mouth. Anyways, sometimes though, you know, positive feedback obviously is nice once in a while, but at least you know when I mean it. Okay. And at least my, I would say my criticisms are very constructive. Anyways, because I was so insecure about my ballroom skills in general, both as a teacher and a dancer, I definitely did not think that this quick step was going to be anywhere, even near what we got for our cha-cha, which was a 24 out of 30. And then I said to Drew that our quick step right now is about is at about a 16. Oh, gosh, ouch. And then Drew says, just like what I said, ouch, whoa. And then it cuts to tension in the room and it cuts to me. I think I meant it when I said to Drew, stop complaining and rehearsing and rehearse again. And then I show, basically show him what he's doing wrong. But all, so all of this tension that I'm creating, you know, in this actual package or whether it was through the edit or if it was real, I don't know. It seemed real because of my insecurity. You know, when I'm insecure, I think like anybody who ever is insecure, but I basically, unfortunately take it out on the person who I'm around most, which at that time was Drew Lachey. You know, I did the same thing with trying on dresses. I'm sure you've heard this in past interviews. I think I mentioned it to Vinny, but like any time I felt bloated, feeling like my body didn't look good, you know, or whatever, I would just, my insecurity would then spread throughout the wardrobe department, unfortunately. And I would become like very short and snappy because I was insecure about my body. And in this case, it was the quick step. So a part of me thinks that the editors didn't do too much as far as editing goes to get out the, uh, you know, short yet sweet Cheryl Burke that day. You know, it cuts to my master interview saying, I definitely feel the pressure now. And so I just need to continue to push through harder and harder. And then it cuts to Drew saying, if we have to keep raising the bar, then that's just what we have to do and just keep getting better and better. And if we have to put in more time, then we'll just have to put in more time. Lucky enough, we were able to. Can you imagine doing all of this in four hours? Mind you, the freaking music wasn't 90 seconds. It was 100 seconds. Huge difference. I know not to you guys, but think about how fast we're dancing and then you add 10 more seconds to it. It's like another 100 steps. I'm not even kidding. Then it comes to our rehearsal and us having pretty solid body contact as we're in frame. And then I stop and after a step, I say, that's amazing, Drew. And I'll tell you this much. This was definitely fed to me. That line was because I remember the producer saying something to me like, we need a little bit of positive affirmation, Cheryl. You know, we like we need you to say something positive so that the package can be like a full circle and not just me coming across as a, you know what, B-I-T-C-H and or me just barking at him, you know, we got to give him some credit for doing a good job. And I was like, Oh, fine. I didn't understand why I had to do that. But I gave them what they wanted. But it sounded fake 
just because I know me. You tell me, though, when you rewatch it. You can see uh, Drew smirk after I say that, or back then, you know, that line was definitely just not natural because Drew would always have that same smirk anytime a line was fed, and I had to say it, obviously, to him as he was listening to the producer feeding me the line. You know what I mean? This ain't that real this reality show um the producer basically said make sure you say good job drew here like here right now then drew says we're just going to do the best that we can and let the cards fall as they may then we walk away after rehearsal and you hear me say 26 out of 30 oh whoa cheryl which is obviously higher than our cha-cha and i guess i couldn't add back then because i would have never said that you know that I would have maybe at the highest said 24 again, not 26. What a way to put more pressure on yourself, little Cheryl. Then it cuts to what both Drew and I had in common, which was sweat. We both sweat a lot. So this was, this one was a doozy, as you can imagine. And most likely I was sweating out the booze (laughs) from the night before, but hey, at least I was sweating it out. So our quick step goes almost, almost, keyword here, flawlessly until about three quarters in, mind you. And this music just kept going and going like the Energizer Bunny. It was so long. I mean, it was crazy. It's only week two and that's so unheard of, especially with nine more couples. But I'm assuming maybe the packages were... No, the packages were long. Everything was long. I thought they only had two hours. Maybe there was three. I don't remember. Anyway... I don't think nowadays any of this would go on. I mean, we also had time to bow. Whoa. You know, it's a much better formula with making the packages longer now at days and the dancing less, you know, not as long. Like it less hardcore as far as every second. As you guys know, when we're dancing, it feels like a minute long. So I know it's not a lot for you guys. And I'm sure you prefer to see us dance longer. But it, no, it's not fun to see someone die in front of your eyes. Okay. It's not fun. Not funny. No one wants to see that. But it's definitely a lot on us. You know, even five more seconds is a lot. Once the music starts, though, um, basically to go over a minute, it's a really big deal. Anyway, it's not like we couldn't handle it. But hey, we had great body contact when we performed the quick step live, you know, for me, I'm going to just be a little critical. I wish I was extended more. I wish my, <laughs> so weird to, it's not that weird. This is like, basically I'm just talking out loud. You should hear my, what my brain says about myself sometimes. Oi. I wish I wasn't like standing so straight up with my spine. I wish I was stretching more from my rib cage out to create more of an open flower frame. Just if anyone's listening to this, that I maybe, um, have had some constructive criticism for, I want you to know, I also do it, if not a hundred times worse to myself, just so you know. And I ain't afraid of a good old note or constructive criticism. We all need it. So I have to say, Drew actually demonstrated great heel leads, except towards the end, eek. After his scattered chassés, he just did not demonstrate any of it. But then what really messed him up was the transition. (sighs) From after the scatter chasse's into the like hopscotch section where we do like this pendulum type step that I'm sure you guys have seen on the show before. And then he forgot to do a double one on each side. So he went quick. Wait, it was like one, two. So he did slow, slow. And then we're supposed to do quick, quick switch, quick quick switch. And he didn't do that. He just did the two slows and tried to come out. And I was like, where are you going? Where you going, buddy? Oh, you can tell he was pissed off. Like you could see it all over his face. He didn't have a good poker face, clearly. Anyway, um, <laughs> it just looked so wrong. Then he could have, you know, 
he could have just honestly kept his frame, which he did, I have to say, and he could have put on his poker face, which he didn't. And we could have just went on with it because we still had like a whole other quarter, which means we probably had another 30 seconds at least of our routine to finish. But because he didn't do any of that, meaning like he just got so angry at himself, he almost looked like he was going to give up and throw in the towel. I'm not kidding. But I was able to somehow guide him <laughs> through the rest of the routine. And you didn't even see my mouth move. I wasn't yelling at him. You couldn't see me yell at him. No way. I was just probably digging my fake acrylics into his skin so that he would chill out. Anyways, I was able to get him back on track. Good on me, which is very important. And um, yeah, he did a great job other than that little or big boo-boo. He finished it strong, but you know, I hope we don't get higher than an eight. Honestly, fortunately for us, we got great scores, but we didn't deserve it. And I'm going to say that right now. Would I have said that back in season two? No, but I've evolved. I would say it now if I competed and if I messed up on live TV like that and I got the score that you're about to hear would be shocking. I'd be like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's just wrong. Anyway, I'm going to throw the judges a bone and say maybe they didn't see it live. And maybe during our dress rehearsal, conspiracy theory, okay, this is not, doesn't mean this is happening, but I'm pretty sure they watch a rehearsal. I'm definitely, whether that be our camera blocking the day before or the dress rehearsal, which is more like it since they're all on set getting ready, must have been flawless, right? So either the camera, the steady cam was in the way, who the heck knows? All I know is that we saw lots of cameras during our dances, <laughs> but Alex definitely, uh, he just, he's amazing. That was our director back then. He did the best that he could and just got better and better. Emmy Award winning. Anyways, again, he finished strong. Um, you know, Drew's frame was consistent throughout. I just wish there would have been more moments of, you know, like, yeah, like still being in frame and demonstrating body contact, but like a little bit more musicality for the choreography as far as my choreography goes. Because um, the song itself was just like, go, 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 go. There was no moments or intimate moments that could have been executed. But we were just like full on. We were full out, go big, go home during our quick step from beginning to end. We didn't dilly dally at the top or bottom, like at all. We didn't, because like, this is the rule. You have to stay in hold for like 95% of the routine, but you can open up in the very beginning of the routine and open up again at the very end of the routine. And that's it, you know? And I could tell at the very end, normally, you know, when you, you bow, we had that time to bow, but Drew was not having it. He was so pissed off at himself and he just gave it away in his face. But hey, Let's hear what the judges have to say. So as we're catching our breath, Tom asks if there if this was a lot of pressure going into this week and if this dance was harder for him and uh, said, look, it's called the quick step for a reason, right? And at the end of the day, cardiovascular wise, it was really tough. So Tom asks Len Goodman what he looks for in a quick step and said the quick step is a standard dance. It's a fast dance. It's like dancing across hot coals. You want to see good hold, good posture, good movement. And then Tom asks Len, did you see it here? And Len said that was fun. That was fast. That was fantastic. And then you see me so happy and excited, even though Drew and I both know that he screwed up. And I'm hoping Len didn't see it or else he shouldn't have said that. Um, both of us were kind of upset about it. But this is when the judges were working in our favor, people. But I could tell that I'm sure the other couples watching us at that time in the red room, like in real time, they probably weren't so happy with that because... They obviously must have seen our mess up. Anyway, then it goes to Carrie Ann and Carrie Ann um, 
basically says that she saw one little slip up, thank God, right about here as she's pointing to like the middle of the floor. You guys kind of lost sync, but for the most part, everything was great. Your posture was great. Your style was great. You are the unlikely ballroom dancer. Bruno says, well, that was supersonic. It was like a fighter jet. You only miss one target, but for the rest, you were right and precise. I'm happy that those two pointed out our mistakes because if they hadn't, that would have been an issue, I think. But I remember after this, Drew was still so pissed off at himself. And I don't think he messed up after that. You know, I think this was his first and last mess up. So this is the thing. And you can hear my interview with Vinny Guadagnino from the Jersey Shore who said that he hadn't messed up all season, basically, except for one of his last dances, which was the cha-cha. And after that, he was able just to let loose and have fun. See, this is why it's important. Make sure you mess up, future celebs. Do so in the beginning of your time on the show so that you can get it out of your system, okay? So that your freaking thoughts don't get louder and louder. And um, then it cuts to us basically in the red room and they go straight to scores and I cannot believe Carrie Ann gave us a nine after she just straight up pointed out that we messed up. I mean, thank you, I guess. And then Len Goodman gives us a nine, which is also insanity. And then Bruno gives us a freaking nine, which gives us a 27 out of 30. That is just so unheard of. This is only week two, you guys. They're throwing nines out like Tic Tacs. You know, this is weird because I we straight up, okay, I would say about 10% of the routine was one big mess up trying to get back on track. In this is when the <laughs> pro dancers started to turn on me. Uh-huh. Just kidding. Maybe. But I kind of felt it. It was weird. Anyway, not my problem. It was weird and I didn't understand why why, you know, it <laughs> but either way, it is what it is. Um both Drew and I were just so shocked and I'll never forget it. You know, I was so excited. I was smiling from ear to ear and Samantha said 27 out of 30. That's higher than last week's score. How are you feeling, Drew? Basically said, I can't believe it. Quick Step was so challenging and he's like, don't know what to say. Oh man. And then Samantha says, well, you have nothing to worry about now. And then I basically say, yeah, right. And then Drew's smart of him, which is very smart of him, says this. He says, you know, he reminds the audience, he tells the audience to please vote. You never know. You're never clear if anything people are going to think that we don't need their vote. But, you know, neither of us are safe. And he reiterated that we need your help. Please vote. And then I also say, please vote in my high squeaky English accent of a voice. Okay, so here's another hashtag BTS. So behind the scenes, here's a little tidbit that you would never know about. Okay, but basically between weeks one and two, I got a phone call from one of the studio owners of Dance Times Square, one of the studios that I rehearsed in when I moved to Harlem, when I danced with Jose, listened to the first or listened to season two, episode one, part one, I believe, to listen to that story. But her name is Melanie LaPatton. Shout out to Melanie. Hey, girl. I'll never forget when she called me because she called and as she was like watching the premiere, I believe she said, Cheryl, I know you're an introvert at heart. Okay. We know you're shy, but only we know this because we know you, but no matter if you screw up, no matter if you don't screw up, you have to look like you're having fun. And even though for me, when I heard, when I was listening to her, when she called me, I was having the time of my life inside my body. Like <laughs> I always make fun of myself and say, this is my voice. Cause I don't, I can't like, if we're in a loud area like if we're in a club and or with loud music and I'm trying to like talk to you you wouldn't be able to hear me but I'm trying my best same thing with my personality okay like I am look the same mad 
angry, sad, well, mad, angry, same thing, frustrated, sad, depressed, happy, same expression. Okay. And it's not because of my Botox. I'll tell you that much. Anywho. So she basically went on and said, look, I, I, I told her I felt the excitement. It was, and it was exuding. <laughs> it wasn't exuding out onto my body language though, like my actual physical body. Right. So she said that like when you're getting these amazing comments and remarks and scores, which you've been doing such a great job in, you have to jump up for joy. Okay, and you just have to exaggerate it because it looks like you're miserable. So I took what she said to heart and I'll never forget it to this day. So thank you, Melanie. And I think I definitely agree with her, though, that sometimes, you know, you need to show that you're happy, not just feel that like that you're happy, right? Like no one cares about how you really feel on on television. But then in real life, when it's just you and yourself and, you know, in your personal life with other people, you want to be authentic to you. But I know I'm contradicting myself because in the actual movement, I want authenticity, but it doesn't read if you just follow the way you think you feel, like the follow your, your genuine feeling. And then if it doesn't come out as like you show it, that's why I say to my celebrities, you just need to show your teeth. You don't need to really smile. Just show me your teeth, please. Thank you. And it does get them to smile. Okay. And it is better. Like as a, as a viewer, it does look like the person's miserable if they're not smiling with their teeth. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer, Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. 
if you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's move on to couple number three. She was in the bottom two last week and narrowly avoided elimination. How did that affect your training? That was Tom. Vio. Uh oh, this one is going to be hopefully not as bad, but the next couple up is uh, Tia Carrere and Maxim Schmirkowski. You hear Tom's voice saying Tia and Max's fairy tale dance quickly turn into a nightmare as they found themselves in the bottom two. Then it cuts to Tia's interview and her saying that it was a huge surprise for her to be in the bottom two. So she wants to raise the bar for herself this week. She looks absolutely stunning in this interview, I have to say. She's just drop dead freaking gorgeous. Oh my goodness. And for those of you that love Tia as much as I do. Unfortunately, she turned down this podcast. I wanted to have her on so bad. Hopefully, she'll change her mind, though. We've got a lot of other celebrities to uh, get through first. Love you, Tia. I still love you. I love you. Then it cuts to Max and Tia's rehearsal with Max not being easier by any means on Tia, especially because Max is one of, you know, the experts when it comes to any Latin style of dance. And their next dance is a rumba and he is the king of the rumba. I have to say that that is one of his actual strengths. And so with that, when you feel confident in what you're doing, especially, then you just naturally become a harder teacher. And Max is showing Tia how to move and do rumba walks, which is, I believe, you know, look, I'm sure they're working on it again and again, but like during the rehearsal and the training period prior to the premiere, this is what they should have worked on already. Maybe they did. Who knows? Not just like the, you know, first day of the second week. That's not good. You have to, like I said earlier, it's so important to carefully plan out your training period. So if they give you like the first two weeks as far as music goes and the first two dances, you got to instill the basics in your celebrity at least a week prior to week two of the competition, even if you haven't choreographed it yet by the premiere night. So it's important just to get your celebrity for any pro dancers or future dancers that do the show, you got to start nailing in the foundation and the basic movement of each category. When it comes to the standard dances, for example, heel leads, body contact frame, because that doesn't really change. Yes, it changes a little bit in the tango, but you got to get that in their muscle memory ASAP. And then again, you know, when it comes to the Latin dances, you always want to teach a fundamental, like overall rule or uh, steps that is in every dance, like walking, rumba walking, for example, and, you know, teach a figure eight, how to isolate, teach how to move from foot to foot, have them exactly know where their weight is, right? Because you can't move between two feet. You have to learn how to transfer your weight. I think that's the main problem when I see celebrities who are not as, let's say, advanced as like a Nicole Scherzinger, Gilles Marini, Juan Pablo de Pache. It's because they're dancing between two feet. They haven't under, they haven't had the time to understand body weight. Like with ballroom, you're either on one foot or the other, unless if it's choreographed to do like a strong pose for the male celebrity to be like split weight. But in order to get maximum range of motion, you have to either be on your right foot or your left foot, okay, fully. 
Like you have to be able to lift whatever leg you're not using up in the air with balance. Anywho, back to Max and Tia. Says the hard part about, you know, the rumba is getting all of that hip movement. And then it cuts to Max literally yelling and whining (laughs) in a way where Tia didn't appreciate it. That's for sure. He was telling her to straighten your arms, move your hips. And you can tell like just his face, how frustrated he was. Or basically, you know, for Tia, she's about to break out into tears. Poor Tia. And Max's long hair with his freaking top knots, a different top knot for every day of rehearsal or ponytail is making me laugh out loud. It's hard (laughs) to take him seriously. And then it cuts basically to Tia and Max again saying, "Um, I don't think Max realizes we have a very short timeline. And then Max is saying in Tia's ear, a lot of hip action. I need more hip action. And Tia is actually biting her tongue at this point. And then it cuts to Tia and Max in rehearsal, cuts to Max's interview saying that he was pushing Tia really hard. Um, And then it shows him moving her hips again, and then shows Max yelling at Tia's not at Tia, but her leg as he's been down, like literally bending down and yelling at her leg. And then Tia says, we had a little bit of a meltdown moment. And then Tia says, what do you want? You want to give up now, Max? Finally, Tia explodes. Good for her. She couldn't take it anymore. She literally pushes his chest. This was the promo and says, let's do it. Let's do it. What Tia was trying to do was to shut Max up, just stop talking at her and start rehearsing like she needs to do this and then she says to max stop complaining and show me what i need to do max said i reached the point where it just wasn't working so we had to change my tactic and so then max basically or more like production brings in a hula dancer literally in her hula gear meaning she was like in a bra cup made of coconuts and a grass skirt with a headpiece i didn't know they wore headpieces i'm not sure (laughs) if they actually are eliminated this week. But if they do, you guys are starting to see a pattern, right, of the packages versus who actually gets eliminated. You know, I say that whenever there's a tension package, you're more likely, you're most likely getting the boot, if not this week, next week, eek. That's why I would be so obsessed with like trying my very best not to have tension in my in my rehearsals. And if I did, it would have to be done off camera because I just know it's just never a good look and you're risking your whole season by you know what's better to respond or react during those times always respond so basically they named their guest the hula dancer a hip expert though she was teaching them how to hula but finally you see these two genuinely smiling along with the hula dancer basically Tia on one side Max on one side she's just dressed ridiculously in this orange hula costume um Max is finally letting loose and you know Tia as well and she was basically doing all of the hip action that you need and she was saying figure eight keep it straight as she was doing like figure eights then it cuts to max having fun to the camera and then max says it was fun to relax in this hula class it's what the doctor prescribed okay so now it cuts to tia's rumba live whoever did her makeup shout out to them for her rumba week two of season two and so with that they start during the voiceover they already start moving with tia walking to max so she's upstage right and then she walks directly to max who's placed on the middle of the floor and the judges basically i hope the judges don't think this is a rumba walk because she walks normal like with heel leads and everything but the music hasn't started yet 
However, I can't get over how drop-dead gorgeous she looks. Max starts out with a great basic move. They look intimate. It looks organic. And he choreographed to the music that he was being given, which was a very, like, it was very casual, their rumba in the beginning, where you see them do, like, cucarachas, but not, like, crazy full out. And I appreciate that, actually. And then he leads her into another basic figure called the fan, which is, like, a basic step in the curriculum, into another weird name, Alamana, and into, um, you know, all of her rumba walks. So, actually, I have to say that, it looks pretty freaking crisp. So that alone with all of those weird names I just said, that's all in the curriculum. You know, they do these things called opening outs and it's pretty good. The quality of movement looks great actually. And she's definitely showcasing straight legs. She definitely has hip action. Um, and then there's some moments of like more rumba walks. And, you know, I thought, you know, so far so good. But yes, you know, she's always, it's always needed to do like ball flat and ball flat, right? No heel leads are allowed. And there were a few, I must say, as far as heel leads go. But you see a great mix of steps from basic to more advanced. And then it's definitely more lyrical moves into like a huge back bend or death drop where Max takes her to the floor. And then there's a close up of Tia. But again, like I only know this because I'm a professional, but I saw her off balance because you can see it in her face. But the camera, if she would have kept that poker face, future celebs, keep that poker face on. Just ignore the mess up because most likely we haven't seen it on camera. They had a close up of Tia's face when she was off balance, which is gorgeous. But then again, she gave it away with just looking defeated, right? Then they go into another basic step called the sliding doors. And look, for me, at that point on, she looked a little flat-footed. There could have been more, you know, in-between moments of her really staying grounded. And I think the reason why she lost balance is because her weight, her body weight was more towards the ceiling than it was down to the hardwood floor. And she didn't really, I don't think, comprehended the isolation of the rumba, like how you have to keep your upper body straight, but then your lower body from your pelvis down needs to be isolated and needs to stay grounded onto the floor. And how do you do that? By relaxing your body weight onto one leg. Anyway, a lot of people don't know this. And what it feels like to me as I'm watching this is that she was dancing between two feet. And that's why the range of motion for Tia was limited. All in all, though, I thought it was okay because they had more of that fiery chemistry. Yes, uh, you know, for me, as far as performance goes, you can tell there was tension because it didn't feel as much of a partnership or a unit like it did in week one. All in all, I give Tia and Max a seven. Okay, so before they get the judges scores, Tia did something that Kenny did mistakenly last week, which was call herself out. <laughs> Don't do that. As she goes to Tom, as they were walking to Tom and waiting for the judge's comments, Tom will always ask, how are you feeling, right? Tom basically did that. And she says, not good. This wasn't good. Wasn't good as as last week. <laughs> and uh, she said, I'll take full account accountability, you guys. And she throws her arms in the air and Max just didn't even say anything. He just stands there quietly. He should have stopped or even stopped her mid-sentence and said, you're doing beautifully, honey. You know, like this is the time to praise your celebrity who feels obviously super insecure and lost and doesn't feel the support from her partner. You can see that right then and there. But when you start to project that, you know, like anything, 
comes back to you tenfold. So let's hear what the judges have to say, starting with Bruno saying, you have such natural sensuality and warmth and the rumba should really suit you perfectly, but you don't keep that level of intensity all the way through the routine and you made a few mistakes. Be careful with the heel leads. Len said, I know about the heel leads in the rumba. There should be no forward walks in the heels that I saw. And I know Max told you a thousand times, but it, you know, I'm going to get a little bit nitpicky. I love the start. I love the cucaracha. I love the swivels. I think all in all, you did a great job. And then Carrie Ann said, last week, you were so gentle and I was worried about your rumba. I was worried about you coming out like the goddess that you are. But I have to say, you definitely came out there and did that, but you need to sharpen up your edges and bring it. And then something interesting happens here, right? When they get their scores, which I'll get to shortly, you know, as they're getting their scores, basically Tia covers her face because she's worried for obviously, you know, anything lower as far as her scores go than last week. But then you see Carrie Ann hold an eight paddle. But then it said on the screen, a seven. Eek. Then it cuts to Len Goodman, who gives them an eight, and then Bruno, who gives them a seven, which is a total of 22 out of 30. But because Carrie Ann held up an eight paddle, they had to kind of refer back to this after they got their score. So Tia initially thought she had received 887, which she was clearly shocked about, honestly, that they both were even close to an eight, um, or they were both shocked that they didn't get anything lower, right? But all I could say here is if I was able to like go back in my time capsule, I would have just told Tia off camera, obviously, don't show that you're struggling or that you feel discouraged ever, like ever on camera, but then feel free to do whatever you need to do afterwards because like you're convincing the audience at home not to vote for you. Or does that convince you guys to vote for someone who thinks that they suck like and openly communicates that? You know, comment and let uh, let me know in um, on our Instagram page at Sex Lies and Spray Tans. Anyway, Samantha asked Tia how she feels about that score and Tia said, I didn't deserve it. <laughs> See, this isn't good. And it says to Max, you've been really tough on Tia. This is Samantha. And ask Max, are you able to ease off a little bit? What? That's not nice. I don't know. I don't think they, I don't think co-hosts should do that now. But I don't think that happens nowadays. But, you know, like the co-host, meaning to ask a pro teacher to ease up. But clearly that's not her. That was whoever executive in her ear saying to ask that. And then Max said, I already did. Today's dance shows that I don't have to ease up on her because she's pushing herself to the fullest. And then, um, you know, I hope everyone understands that, you know, she's doing it all on her own is what Max said. So he seemed like he was proud of her without saying the words, I'm proud of you. <laughs> then cut to Tom trying to clarify what had happened with the scores that Carrie Ann intended to give, which was a seven, but held up an eight paddle by accident. So look, that is true. There are standards and practices in the back, you guys. So when it comes to scores, that's no joke. This was like actually definitely part of standards and practices. We, you know, we get the rules, You just so you know, every season, like, I would say that it would be the dress rehearsal of the premiere episode. And, you know, you, we all are on the ballroom floor, the director, the executives, the pros, the celebrity contestants, so that, you know, we go over and read, someone reads, one of the producers read all of the rules as far as what goes on and what shouldn't go on and what happens if you were to get injured, for example, to raise your hand, if you're, if you can't move on, you know, it is a live show. And then, you know, if you, raise your hand and let's say Tom sees that he the everything will stop and it'll cut straight to commercial hence me and Christian de la Fuente but we'll get there um also you know they have a huge meeting with us about talking 
voting and the point system, you know, what, what it is, how it works, when people can start voting, when they, when the voting stops, standards and practices are there as well, you know, and as far as the judges goes, they have a button that they have to press or like a number on the judges table so that as soon as they've decided what they're scoring, it goes directly to whomever is overseeing that part of the show so that, you know, it's for, it's, it's a for sure thing that this is that part of the show that it has to be legit. Like that was just an innocent mistake is my point on Carrie Ann's part. You know, she was definitely giving a seven, but held up an eight paddle. We're all human. We all make mistakes. And then Tom makes a joke out of it at the end and says, it's just so you know, in the ballroom community, that's called premature paddling. Ha <laughs> ha, laughter everywhere. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Couple number four, we've got George Hamilton and his partner, Edita Slavinska, dancing a quick step. And I believe if you hear my interview with Edita, I think this was the week I'm pretty sure where George rented 
I would say like hundreds and thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of real diamonds for Edda to, to wear. So if you're rewatching this with me or, or plan on doing so in the near future, make sure you check out her jewelry because that ain't no joke. I don't know if it was for this dance or if it was maybe for the tango that they did, but I love the fact that George was so into this whole process, like the aesthetic of it, and really embraced ballroom. Even if he wasn't the best dancer and he was in pain from falling off his yachts, like, you know, he's he's just obviously enjoying this process and it's a joy to teach when someone is like that and to watch i'm sure as a viewer you know george is being introduced by tom bergeron who says he has broken box office records but will the hip be next (laughs) that was funny cuts to george in between these two beautiful women they do like a quick shot of you live in the red room which at the time was stacy keebler and edita and i'll never forget you guys this but as the weeks progressed hashtag BTS right now, everyone felt more comfortable and there was just so much camaraderie throughout the cast. Like George and Stacy had like this cute, innocent, obviously, you know, Stacy was George's crush. And, you know, it was always this like whining and dining and like showing that he had a crush on Stacy Keebler, gifting her. It was really cute just to see how everyone got so close as the weeks went on. And you'll see this even more when we do our huge like mid-season group number with everybody, which was something I'll never forget. Anyway, let's get to their quick step rehearsal. It shows a clip of their cha-cha from last week and Tom saying, Edita and George's cha-cha-cha kicked off the competition last week and in style, but George's knee and rib injuries cost him points. Then it cuts to Bruno saying, how his cha-cha was a bit uneven. I don't know if it was your injuries, but there were some good moments, but too many moments of stillness. The audience booed. Then it cuts to George's interview saying, I went out there in front of millions of people the other night, and I was the first one that could have fallen right on my butt, and I didn't. Then it cuts to Edita and George's rehearsal for the quick step, and his frame is down. But basically, you can tell he's struggling a lot with his injuries, especially since it is the quick step. This is the thing. If I were an executive producer, I would not be giving this poor man a quick step for week two, especially because you want him to stay until voted off, right? Like, (laughs) you don't want to have to have a contestant bow out. That sucks for both, especially the pro, right? And just this experience of the celebrity doing the show. Anyways, they didn't have to like give him a quick step, but I'm pretty sure that anyone who danced a ballroom dance for the premiere night danced a Latin dance, which is the rumba. And then anyone who danced a waltz for the premiere night had to dance. Oh, wait, sorry. Anyone who danced whatever Latin dance they did for the premiere had to do a quick step. So um, look, you got to adapt to what your celebrity who your celebrity is and also as far as the producers go you have to adapt to who you've hired onto your show and i think it's a lot better now i don't think they're so set in stone as far as dance styles go um but either way it's great tv i guess and then you see george's rehearsal he's pointing at his knee and thigh area that there is no muscle here is what he's saying to Edita. And then he says something quite funny and he goes why is it at a certain age you finally get your head together and your ass is falling apart. <laughs> and then as, you know, he's trying, Edita's trying to teach him the quick step. You know, she's trying to show how to use the floor, compress into one leg, which requires you to bend your knee. Um, 
George right away looks like he's in so much pain and he's limping, holding onto his right, like upper thigh area, like right where your IT band is located and says he has zero balance on it, nor can I step on it. And then he said, we're in trouble, but thank God for team George. And I thought he was referring to like team George, like his fans who are going to vote him through, even if he goes out there limping, but no, George Hamilton has a whole team of people to help him out as far as his physical body goes, which is brilliant and is needed for sure. Thank God for Team George. Basically, Team George whips him back into shape and he has like a, he has two different people, a chiropractor and then he's got like a sports therapist and it shows, you know, George and the sports therapist, basically George is is barefoot. He has like shorts on and you see him popping up quite quickly actually from being like he was kneeling onto one leg right then he pops up and it works and he feels like it looks like he's not in pain at all then he walks off camera or runs actually off camera and it seemed like it did a body good for George and then he said watch out Drew (laughs) at the end of the package all right so let's look at their dance and right away you see Edita looking like an old Hollywood movie star right and George, of course, looking like a million bucks in his tail suit, dancing, you know, actually, fun fact, dancing to a song that Jack Osborne and I danced to for a freestyle song. Clearly, we stole it from them, but I didn't even know they danced to it. But it's beautiful. You know, George and Edita looked the part. And I have to say, surprisingly, he was definitely gliding throughout the whole routine. And he didn't have any like weird or awkward moments. And what I loved is that Edita did what she could actually do to make him look good, even if that meant breaking the rules. And by the way, that's very much appreciated by the celebrity. Like, look, if you have somebody who is in pain or physically can't do it, right? You're going to have to put on a good show regardless, even if that means breaking the rules. Like I I am such a rule follower, but because I was trained in ballroom, I like to stick to the rules. It's what makes me feel the best and more confident and is what makes me feel like it's natural. Like it's natural not to break hold in, in the quick step. And it's your job to figure it out as far as choreography goes and the challenge in front of you. But because she had someone like George Hamilton of course, you should break the rules, you know, like, I don't even think the judges said anything, but let's see. Either way, it was memorable what they did because there was like a tapping section and then, you know, George tapped and it was so cute. The audience went nuts and then he did a little solo, right? And it was such a crowd pleasing moment. So this is the thing, like as pro dancers, you have to make choices, right? You either break the rules and make it fun and entertaining for the people at home to watch um, or you stick to the rules and it's like watching paint dry sometimes depending on the dancer or the celebrity and uh, hopefully the judges you know will see that you did whatever you could do at that time and with whomever you were given as a celebrity partner and uh, what's more important I would say though is like Derek Huff for example he's definitely more of a rule breaker while like I said earlier I'm not at all I preferred especially like when Len Goodman would judge, I prefer to stick to what the rules were. Mind you though, I think for me specifically, that's all I knew, right? So um, I I was never taught, excuse me, to think outside the box. And that, you know, since I never took any other classes, but ballroom meaning I never like took jazz or whatever. I did ballet when I was a little girl, but I would say, you know, my dance coach, like if you haven't heard 
season two, episode one, make sure you listen to that. Um, but Alan, my dance coach, you know, he gave, he taught me such a great foundation, but there was never room for the creativity of it. So that's just the way I was trained. So I was definitely more of a stick by the rules type of gal, which is what, you know, Wendy Johnson, another person that uh, I mentioned season two, episode one is what she also taught me as far as thinking outside of the box goes. So as far as George's frame, his elbows were down a little bit. And I saw that was something that Edita obviously didn't get a chance to work on. I think what was more important was for Edita to get him his steps and get it so it was in his body and muscle memory. But it was especially apparent that that left arm wasn't great. Like he just needed to lift up that elbow a little bit. But when he does this whole tap section, like I mentioned, it's just so musical. And he just never tries too hard to where it looks like he's struggling. Like he has this ultimate like showman you know, attitude. And then they get right back into their quick step. So the transitions were pretty seamless, which is impressive. And instead of looking at Edita, he should have been looking where he was going, which is not at Edita. It's like, this is the thing. It looks like the, for the male, right? For the leader, you're supposed to look, a lot of people say, look left. No, you're not looking left. You're just literally looking into this like little window that is created that you need to visualize when when and hold there's a window between your hand and the ear lobe that's where you need to look but you also more importantly need to look where you're going if you're walking backwards you need to look over your shoulder if you're walking forwards you need to look where you're going that's all anyways george had the ultimate charm he had the charisma which you can't teach his pivots weren't bad, actually. But you see, the problem is that when you do too many spins and you do like another step, technical step is called like a rolling of the arm type spin with your partner. You need to put movement in it or at least have George stand strong. Like what I said with his week one dance is that his frame or when he's just standing there, his legs are too close to one another. He His legs needed to be further apart. And then Edita basically throws her leg up in the air as she does and she loses her balance a little bit because clearly George wasn't giving her the opposition that she needed to get balanced and to put one leg up in the air but she didn't hold back and then uh, yeah and then she just bends back with her leg literally on uh, George's chest and shoulder and anyways it what was weird, and I'm not sure if it was bothering him, but he unbuttoned his bow tie. And then, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. It was like as if he couldn't breathe, but maybe it was part of the whole thing. Who knows? I think it just didn't, she just didn't have enough balance. It was too many things happening. She had huge, she had a huge and heavy dress of feathers. So either way, if he, you know, if your partner's not giving you the correct um, counterbalance you need, you're going to eat it. Okay. So overall, what a great, solid dance, I would say. They looked the part. You know, it had way more content than it did last week for his premiere dance. So I give George and Edita a six. Okay, so let's move on to the judges' comments. Carrie Ann said, Team George did a good job out there. You look great. I'm impressed and says, 
you know, it goes without saying. You're charming, you're elegant, you had one little boo-boo in the middle, you lost the hold for a bit, but that was very entertaining. It was a great way to use what you have and ignore what you can't do. And Bruno said, well, the master of illusion. You played every Hollywood character I've ever seen here tonight in the quick step. Gene Kelly, Gary Cooper, all of the Hollywood characters you covered your mistakes very well. And then Len said, you make me smile so much, George. You put everything in and the kitchen sink. There is quick, there is quick moments. There is a bit of Charleston. There could have been a bit more quick step, but other than that, it was fine. Len Goodman, especially, you know, that season, I have to say the very first few seasons, he was especially nice, but also balanced out his constructive criticism and he was critical. And this is what we need more of, I think moving forward in season 33. You know, look, I'm not saying that you should eliminate the constructive criticism, right? We're still making a TV show. But as far as the judges go for next season, I think it's important, first of all, that they banter the three of them or four, whoever, I don't know how many judges they're having, but it's important to have the camaraderie between the judges stronger. I think it's important because, you know, it showcases more just of what the show needs, camaraderie, right? Like not just put all of the pressure on the cast to deliver. Like the judges should give constructive criticism first off and and that's just a note, right? So like take it or leave it. Not my show, but no one's going to hear this as far as the judges go. Most likely they're not listening to this, but you can also give constructive and positive criticism, meaning like you can't call anyone like if you're, if they're walk, if you can't call people penguins or you look like a robot right that's not constructive that's not going to help and i understand it's tv but there is a way that if you really think about it since i know that these judges think about what they're saying before they say it if not write it down whether they're watching dress rehearsal or not i have no clue but they literally have time to think about what they're saying before they say it now george and edita go to the red room with samantha and then Samantha says to George that you bring a whole new meaning to breakdancing. And then Samantha says, with all of your injuries, how are you holding up? What? Anyway, I'm doing pretty good, George says, but I'm doing all of this for my people in the hood. (laughs) Ha ha. He's trying to make poke fun at Master P, which is hysterical. Anyway, we're all laughing. Even Master P's laughing. Um, And... (laughs) He basically says, you know, you have to see it. He said his hood is Beverly Hills, Palm Beach, you know, and then everyone is dying of laughter. Lisa Renna is laughing so loud. And then Master P finally smiles. Hopefully he feels better and more comfortable within the camaraderie of the group. Um, but thank God he didn't take it offensively. Okay. Carrie Ann gives George and Edita an eight. Okay. Wait, hold on. It wasn't better than Tia's dance, but that's okay. I guess uh, we don't compare or I wouldn't compare the couples to one another, but I see why people at home get upset. But for the people at home listening and to just, you know, in Carrie Ann's defense, it's really hard. You can't compare like a rumba to a quick step. You just can't, right? Unless everyone's on the sa- on the floor dancing together all at the same time, you, it's almost impossible. So I believe that what they do naturally and what I saw myself do naturally when I was watching the show last season and doing these recaps, I would compare them to the week before. Like, are they taking in the notes? Are they improving? Meaning that one celebrity, like I'm not going to compare Charlie D'Amelio to Sam Champion, 
it's not happening. There's no way. Then you should be scoring Sam Champion a one, right? Like it doesn't work like that. So, but I understand why you're like, how can you give so and so an eight and then give so and so a six? But again, it, it you can't, you just can't. It's almost impossible to compare all of the couples against one another when they don't dance on the floor at the same time like they do in real ballroom competitions. Okay. Anywho, Carrie Ann gives George and Edita an eight. Then Len Goodman gives a seven and then Bruno gives a seven, which gives them a total of 22 out of 30. And, you know, now they're officially tied with Tien, Max, and Samantha asks, are you ready to keep going? And he goes, oh, hell yeah, I have an ambulance ready (laughs) for me out there. Um, So I'm ready. This is why George and Edita, I think, lasted about halfway through the competition, just purely based on his humor. Yet he also took it seriously. Like you can do both, right? You don't have to be humorless just because you take what you're doing seriously, but you also don't have to not be into it. This whole process either thinking, oh, you're too cool for school. Look, there's a fine line. I know that much, right? But I also love that no matter if George is in pain, and he's the only one that can complain really out of everyone there since he's the older one. But he was able to f- still find the joy in this process, even if after, you know, they shut the cameras down and he was definitely in pain. And from what I remember, he was not a happy camper, especially towards the middle of the competition. But he still put a freaking smile on his face. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. 
if you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Couple number five, Tatum O'Neill and Nick Kosovich. So cuts to their package with Tom saying last week, you knocked Len's socks off with your waltz. Which article of his clothing will he lose tonight? Ha ha. Then it cuts to their last week's dance. And Tom says that she used her acting skills as she walked her way to the judges scores. And then Bruno says, welcome back to Hollywood royalty. And then it cuts to Tatum O'Neill saying, I think it's time that I show people that I have all sorts of different kinds of talents and then cuts to their rehearsal for this week. And Tatum basically being a little funny and snarky with Nick Kosovich saying to him and pointing at him, get on it now. I'm pretty sure she was just mimicking him. And then it cuts to rehearsals, right? So I've always said to Tatum to let you be the actor. This is Nick saying this to let you be the actor and let me be the director. And then it cuts to their rehearsal to them walking into what looks like a, I think it's one of the dance studios in New York, but anyway, they're doing a basic step. You've heard me say that Alamana and then it stopped and Nick basically stops Tatum in her track and then it cuts to Tatum saying to Nick under her breath that <laughs> oh god she says something like condescending and you can tell this is like actually their rehearsals like they don't care if the cameras are there it's definitely a studio in New York now that I'm watching it and this was probably before the premiere episode right so Tatum said I told you Nick aggression doesn't get me to do the step and then what Nick said in response to Tatum was, it's not called aggression, it's called leading and following. And then Tatum basically just rolled her eyes and was just not interested in what Nick had to say. Then it cuts to Tatum in real time saying, you can't tell Nick that he's not good enough and she's drinking her water. So they either look like they've had a love affair, these two, which I know did not happen. I mean, I don't know, I wasn't there, but they have a very toxic sister-brother relationship that it's it just gives both of them this fiery like feeling inside of their stomachs. They must trigger the hell out of each other back then. And, that makes, and it makes each of them just lash out and react. And they're literally the same person. If Nick was a woman, this is who he would be and vice versa. Then it cuts to Tatum saying, I understand watching us. It may look like that we hate each other. <laughs> yep. Then it cuts to their rehearsal. And then Nick says, "Just we're just having fun. And then it cuts to uh, their rumba walking, uh, her rumba walks. And he was like, oh, you know, like trying to compliment her to where Tatum wasn't having it. Literally slapped Nick across the face gently, though, may I add, maybe they added a sound in uh, the edit, but says, stop, don't, which means that she obviously couldn't take a compliment and she actually felt more comfortable when they both were verbally abusing each other and as com then uh tatum basically goes don't ooh me and then it cuts to tatum in her interview saying i think this is the key to our success nick says what you can expect from our rumba this week is a lot of passion and intensity between us then it cuts to nick running rumba walks back and forth with tatum then he says if he wants, if she wants to compete pro-am, she could be a real champion, no doubt. Tatum goes, I think my best place, well, my best place is first place. 
then it cuts to their rumba live. Okay, so I wish that when I first see her on the floor getting ready to dance, I wish that Tatum, first of all, used some spray tan because she wore this like lime green color. And normally it looks better just in general when you are spray tan, right? If you're wearing bright colors or whatever, you don't want it to wash you out. But that's just me. Anywho, maybe she was allergic to it. Who knows? But uh, she looks gorgeous. Whoever did her makeup again, the wardrobe, all of it was a fire. But I have to say, you know, now Nick, as he's doing this rumba, is not necessarily in his element. He's out of his element. And he's doing a style that I would say that he has competed, that he has never competed in at a professional level. But I know, you know, he did Latin, I believe, as a kid. And I'm sure he competed maybe as an amateur or maybe even as a pro when he was younger. But you'll see the difference. Like you see a rumba being done on Max versus like Nick or even like a Jonathan Roberts. And you prefer someone like a Max or Val, right? I mean, you, you just can see it. I can't really explain it, but you can tell. And then also same thing with a quick step. You see me do a quick step versus Charlotta Jorgensen. You prefer Charlotta, obviously, right? Anyway, let's move on to Nick and Tatum's rumba. The choreography for Tatum's rumba wasn't necessarily as perfectly pieced or choreographed together. So you have to think like this choreography, when doing choreography in general, you got to think like a jigsaw puzzle. And when a piece doesn't fit, you got to take it out right then and there and don't force it. Don't stuff it down your celebrity's throat because if they don't feel good, if they don't remember the transition or if it's uncomfortable for them, why continue? Time is not on your side on Dancing with the Stars. You know, it has to feel good for the celebrity. And if it even if it feels like shit for the pro, pro dancer, you got to change it to make your celebrity feel good. That's all that matters. Anyway, look, they do basics and they interlock arms in the beginning and they do rumba walks and it sucks to interlock arms. I've tried it with all different heights and sizes of people, pros and celebrities in the motion is just not you're not able to have a hundred percent range of motion so it shortens your steps right then and there it looks uncomfortable and there i would have just in overall would have exaggerated more moments but it was as if her upper body was too loose in comparison to her lower body like the isolation wasn't happening in the right um portion of her physical body like she was on straight legs right so that was good but she definitely did not keep her upper body still and she couldn't create maximum hip action because her her nerves like were going up so her shoulders she barely had a neck they were up towards her ears you know you have to keep your upper body still in order to be able to isolate right so look you'll see that if you watch this her upper body was a little wobbly and so when you're wobbly in your upper body, you look like you have no hip action. Either way, she needed to learn a little bit more about transferring her weight, right? You can never create maximum hip action, like I said earlier, if you're on two feet. So what I would have done if she was my student was, first of all, like in the training period of the show, I would have explained to her like body weight and transferring your weight from foot to foot. But she wasn't my student, so it is what it is. However, I think this would have helped her as far as the Latin styles go. So I felt like there were actual beautiful moments of uh, like her and hitting certain lines, but all in all, the vibe wasn't there. And um, look, I think it, the presentation of the way that it was built and put together wasn't 
necessarily comfortable for her. Not saying that your celebrity should feel comfortable, but it just, it didn't fit. The jigsaw puzzle didn't fit. Basically, the pieces were too big or small. It wasn't a perfect fit, put it that way. I give Tatum O'Neill and Nick Kosovich a six. All right, so let's move on to the judges' comments. Len said, well, every line that you produced during that rumba was fantastic. Unfortunately, your hip action was lacking. The top was tipsy, but the bottom was stingy. <laughs> I have to agree with Len, actually. Carrie Ann said, your legs and your body were not connected. Yep, there were no strength in your bottom half. I agree with the other judges. Bruno said, you have great qualities, Tatum. When you do it right, you remind me of Rita Hayworth. But in order for you to continue, you have to really work on the detail. It can't stop here. You know, you have to extend and control it if you if you want to do better next week. And then Tatum basically says, you know, I was nervous. And then Nick pulls her as they walk into the red room. And then Samantha says, you know, I know the judges were hard on you. And she said, she asks Tatum what happened out there. And then Tatum goes, I'd rather be in dance position, meaning that she'd rather be in frame than basically not. And basically what she's saying is I prefer the standard or smooth dances versus the Latin dances. And she goes on and she says, I was nervous, but she was very, you know, upset. I think you can tell that she was almost in tears and um, her legs were strong. It was the fact that she wasn't grounded. So therefore she wasn't able to isolate and maybe it wasn't taught to her, but her upper body and lower body were moving as one. And her upper body went in these like beautiful positions and lines, but it, they were wobbly, right? So she had zero core strength. So as far as um, the judges scores go, Carrie Ann gave Tatum a five and Lennon Bruno gave her a six. So that was a 17 out of 30. And look, Tatum was really upset. And uh, Tatum said, I tried my best from what I can remember. I think after this, you know, she was in tears and Nick was just consoling her backstage. It was really sad. I definitely think, I, you know, I, I think I gave her some words of hopefully comfort. I don't know. It's always so sad because it really does affect these celebrities. And it's something that you guys don't see us do or even react about because after, you know, they get their scores and most of the seasons you don't see any confessionals except for this season. And it's something that they should honestly bring back. You know, you work so hard for a dance. You know, there's so many emotions, as you can see, that run through our bodies that happen. And you don't get the criticism or cons or constructive criticism, let's say, that you were expecting from the judges or even the scores, let's say. And if you mess up live on television and practice was going so well throughout the week, you know, backstage, there's a lot of emotion right after, like straight after that we've danced live, right? You work so hard for this one dance to, to just either get you know, feedback that you can take back with you or that, you know, you overcome your nerves and or you're nervous about getting eliminated and you just get so upset with yourself. And, you know, as pros, we're there to consult and comfort our celebrities. And then after that, I at least I can speak for myself. I question my own worth. It's really it's a freaking emotional roller coaster. And I question my own work when it comes to choreography and coaching. Like when my partner doesn't do well, you know, it doesn't it's not like, oh, okay, let's move on. No, no, no. This stays with me for a long time. And um, especially when it comes to like insecurities of mine, whether that be choreography or whatever. And I always blame myself. And if I'm not intentional about it, like I have been lately, but I definitely was never like this on the show. You know, this is a change of my mindset and mind frame, but I tend to blame myself or I did a lot, especially when, 
you know, I didn't do well, which was most of my time on the show. It wasn't just all mirror balls and spray tans. All right, guys. So like last week, I have to split this into two parts because we still have four more couples. Okay. Don't want this to be a 75 hour long episode. So thank you guys so much for always tuning in, listening and enjoying these rewatches. It really helps me stay motivated to continue doing this. As you know, it ain't easy, but I love you guys and make sure you come back next week for the rewatch episode, season two, episode two, part two. Till next time. Make sure you guys follow us at Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans on our Instagram handle and make sure you comment. Let me know who you want me to interview. What do you all think? Let me know. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.